Remember when your grandma watched the member drive on PBS and joined so she could get that sweet Peter, Paul, and Mary concert on VHS? Now you can do the same thing with the Pop Culture Preservation Society. Each of our episodes is created with the help of listeners like you. And you can become a financial supporter of the PCPS over on Patreon.com to help us pay the bills and keep doing what we love. To show our appreciation, we'll send you welcome gifts and give you access to bonus content, like video recordings of our episodes, after-the-episode discussions, and blooper reels from the cutting room floor. Just go to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, type Pop Culture Preservation Society into the search bubble, and choose the level of support that feels right for you. And if you're not able to contribute at this time, remember that listening is the most important form of support you could ever give. Thank you. Welcome to another Encore Episode Week. It's no surprise that I, particularly, am ecstatic about this week's Encore, you guys. One, because of the subject matter, and two, because it's a conversation I just loved having with one of our favorite Gen X little sisters, Lori, who hosts the Untitled Gen X Podcast, which I think of as an 80s kid companion to the PCPS, where we tend to focus more on 70s kid topics. Lori tackles the mid to late 80s. Right. They're just a little bit younger than us. So they do deep dives on things that we might have missed because we were in college and going to parties or in college and going to parties. <laughs> That's correct. They, they've done things like 90210, The Wonder Years, The Hills, Punky Brewster. Um, but they also do plenty of things that all Gen Xers would relate to, like Steel Magnolias, which was featured with Nina Badson, who is the leader of our writing group. She's the reason that we all came together. Um, they've done David Bowie. They've done Dead Poet Society. So lots of things that are of interest to us also. And this conversation devoted to Duran Duran's Rio album with Michelle. And we were happy to share Michelle with Lori last year, if only to get her to shut up about <laughs> wanting to do a Duran Duran episode. Sorry, not but sorry. you guys, yeah, no, that's okay. Because as usual, she finally wore us down. <laughs> and that is going to change next season when Michelle gets her wish and the PCPS devotes an episode to the Fab Five. Oh, my God. I feel like there should be right now like confetti cannons going off right. and angels singing. I kind of thought that was going to happen. <clears throat> you guys, I cannot wait. Actually, I've already written the episode. I think I had <laughs> written it in 1983. Um, but what I love about this conversation that you're about to hear, the one I had with Lori, is that since she is a late 70s baby, she wasn't familiar at all with Duran Duran. Like, she thought it was two guys named Duran and Duran. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear that, yeah. And once I got past that horrifying admission, I was more than happy to do my best to make her a member of Team Durani. And I did. I did. Um, while we focused mostly on the songs from the Rio album, we chat about their appeal because, I mean, how can you not? Um, I share some fun stories from my days of infatuation yesterday. Um, and we tackle the stories behind the songs and videos from that incredible 1982 album. You know, that's where you're getting the videos and the song, the videos, especially from like Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, oh my gosh, Save a Prayer. There's so mm -hmm. many and we, we cover them. I mean, that's mm -hmm. an album, right? You guys. album was 100% about MTV. So mm -hmm. I know these songs from the videos themselves. I don't even think of Rio as an album. I think about it as a collection yep. of videos. But that also means that I only know Hungry Like the Wolf, 
Save a Prayer, <laughs> yeah. and Rio. <laughs> but it's important. And you know what's actually funny, Kristen and listeners? When I said I've already written this episode, I'm not kidding. And Kristen, you are actually tackling the MTV Duran Duran connection. Oh, so this is great. Okay. This is perfect. In my so wheelhouse. it's almost like I knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've got to say, I love this episode that you did with Lori because it's kind of um, a primer for me, kind of Duran Duran 101, because... Um, like I told uh, Michelle the other day, if she said, well, what's your favorite song off the Rio album? I'd say, uh, Rio? Because I, I don't know that I could have named the songs. And something I'm not good at, and I'll tell you right now, I, I know words to songs and I know songs, but if you ask me who sings them, I don't always know that. Um, so I, I don't even know if you said Hungry Like the Wolf to me. Don't say it. it don't say it. Don't say it. Okay. Well, that's why... <laughs> This, this episode is so good because it really, like is, like I said, is a primer for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have to come to love Duran Duran because otherwise there might just be two people co-hosting this podcast in the future. Um, <laughs> She's so going to get security. No, yes. that's not true. All are welcome here. All are welcome here. And I just want to try. I just want to try my best. But I totally get it. I mean, you know, I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. So there you go. You know, we have oh. our, we all have our. our okay, we have to end the episode right now. <laughs> Gosh, how can you be Gen X and not be a huge Bruce Springsteen fan? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yes, it just goes to show. Uh, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Who said that? Who I, said that? I don't know if that was picked up on the microphone. I'm going to rewind. So. <laughs> Kristen, what did you say louder for the people in the back? I have a great deal of respect that's saying what you said. Same. Okay, that's not <laughs> that's, what you said into but the I microphone. Don't, but I don't necessarily enjoy his music. But I respect yeah, him. Same. And same. I understand why people like mm-hmm. him. Oh, I am, I am on board with that. That's how I feel mm-hmm. too. Well, we you know what this means, listeners? Here. It means that in maybe right. season 10, Carolyn is going to be in charge of a Bruce Springsteen episode. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't say season 10. Let's say since she has, I'm going to make her wait like I had to wait. Season, season 20. In season 20, <laughs> we'll be doing a Bruce Springsteen episode. And that assures our longevity. So the Untitled Gen X podcast is available wherever you get podcasts and can be found on Instagram at the Untitled Gen X podcast. <laughs> and we'll share all the links in this week's weekly reader. Yeah, we will, because like I said earlier, we really consider that to be our little sister podcast and just adore Lori and um, think it's a great podcast. So um, it's one that I actually listen to, like just when I'm in my car, I'm like, what's Lori talking about this week? So we hope you guys will tune into um, her podcast as well. So right now, we want you to grab a snack and settle in because you guys, this is a deep dive. Um and if you're a Duranny, or <clears throat> even if you're not, <laughs> get ready to have all the feels as you listen to this fun and informative episode of the Untitled Gen X Podcast. Her name is Rio and she I'm coming to this conversation with feelings. I thought Duran Duran was two dudes. Duran. Duran. Duran Duran were men. And that made it even all the more intriguing. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's thrilled to welcome Michelle Newman to fangirl over Wild Boys Duran Duran and their new wave sophomore triumph, 1982's Rio. But before we get into the cherry ice cream smile of it all, I'd like to tell you a little about my pop culture podcast sister, Michelle Newman. 
Michelle is one of the hosts and producers of the Pop Culture Preservation Society, a podcast dedicated to preserving the pop culture nuggets of our Gen X childhoods. In addition to writing for a variety of online publications, she also spent eight years writing about her life on her blog, You're My Favorite Today. Michelle is a loving wife and mom who happily fills her days sharing the joy of our shared Gen X memories on Pop Culture Preservation Society social media and in the hilarious conversations she has with her sister workwives on her podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you, Lori. I'm so excited to be here fi- and to finally like see you and put a face to your lovely voice and feel like you're our little sister. I know. I feel that way too. I feel like you ladies are like my podcast, big sisters, right? That's what I think right away when we found your podcast was about when we started ours too. Yeah. We were kind of looking around um, at other Gen X podcasts and found yours right away and listened to it, loved it. And then I think we got in touch. And when you told us like the Gen X years you were born, Mm -hmm. we were like, oh my gosh, you could be our little sister. Cause (laughs) I'm a little older than you, but (laughs) I think it's like, what are you 70? What, when were you? I'm born? 76. Okay. So I'm 69. So I'm okay. seven. So that's yeah. not too bad. I truly could be your big sister. Absolutely. And I love your guys' podcast so much. I mean, Thank you. honestly, Carolyn, Kristen, you, you're the dynamic trio, truly. <laughs> and <laughs> I you. love the stuff you guys cover. I mean, obviously it's all Gen X pop culture, but some of the stuff is a little earlier than what I traditionally mm-hmm. cover, but it's stuff that's so near and dear to my heart. BG's Little House, all the Judy Bloom yeah. stuff, Solid Gold, Schoolhouse right. Rock, Electric Company. I mean, the list goes on and on. Well, there's so much stuff. Uh, you know, they say Gen X is technically 1965 to 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of us who host the Pop Culture Preservation Society are born 1965. So right at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, 1968 and 1969. So a lot of the stuff we cover is more based on a 70s childhood, but I was only about 10 turning 11 in 1980. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff that we haven't really even dipped our toe into the 80s yet. We will one day, but the stuff, that's why I loved your podcast and still love your podcast so much because you cover then, you then kind of pick up where we kind of leave off and you cover a lot of the stuff that, especially for me, I was still really feeling, you know, because I am definitely a seventies child, but I straddle that line. I mean, I am also definitely an eighties child because I was only in fifth grade in 1980. I often think, God, it would have been cool to be a teenager in the eighties. <laughs> I was. was 14 in 1990. So I started okay. high school in 1990. Okay. So I was really a kid in the eighties, mm-hmm. you know, but my musical taste is so seventies. Like I, I live and breathe seventies music. It is yes. my favorite to this day. It truly is amazing. I mean, you guys and the yacht rock of it all. I just, oh, I love it. Yeah. The seventies music just brings out all the feelings for us for sure. Mm -hmm. But I also, as having said that I'm also very much an eighties pop girl. Like, so I love both, you know? Well, when we were talking about what we should cover and you mentioned Duran Duran, (laughs) I was secretly wondering if Carolyn and Kristen were going to be like, Michelle, we wanted to cover those sexy (laughs) dudes. Like, why are you giving this to the Untitled Gen X podcast? No, I will give you a little secret. So I have been for, you know, a year kind of 
not asking, but, you know, suggesting, (laughs) how about Duran Duran? How about Duran Duran? And Mm -hmm. Carolyn and Kristen. Well, Carolyn, because she's born in 1965, I don't think she really caught the Duran Duran wave. And Kristen, for one reason or another, I think she thinks they're fine, but not to the extent and the level that I um, had the Duran Duran worship. So it's one of those things that I think we've all just, we have so many topics to cover just from, I mean, the list is never ending and it's been like, we'll do it one day. Mm-hmm. We'll do it one day. And so when you and I spoke and you said, do you want to come on and talk about Duran Duran? I was like, oh, hell yeah. No, Carolyn and Kristen are thrilled. They are so excited for me to be on here. I think. <laughs> getting Duran Duran a little bit out of my system and we'll do it one day, but you know what? We'll do it differently. And yeah, don't worry. I'll, I won't let <laughs> them make it the good, hook, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of requests to do Duran Duran. <gasps> really? I have. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest. I'm not really a fan. I know. I don't actually know why that is. Um, so this album of course came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. It's not like I wasn't a fan of early 80s music either. So I don't really know what happened. In my experience, it seems like my peers who love Duran Duran had older siblings who listened Mm -hmm. to them. And so they were introduced to it early. Whereas I was just sort of familiar with the singles. Mm -hmm. I was too young to really crush on the boys. Oh, absolutely. So I don't know. It was just sort of like, eh. Duran Duran. You know what? I can see that though, because if you didn't really catch the wave when it was mm-hmm. actually happening, once you got 13, 14 years old, there were other boy bands or other you know, bands. Too. Like it was yeah. Bon jo- <laughs> But that's the way I feel about, you know, on our podcast, when we're talking about 70s childhood things and we're talking about maybe the Bee Gees mm-hmm. and maybe Carolyn is saying, oh, how, you know, she crushed on them or whatever. I didn't have that experience because I was too young. Mm-hmm. I definitely love their music and it's really important to me, but I don't have any memories. It wasn't quite the same. It didn't hit the same. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you off the hook by saying that's what I feel like it was for you. It was your age. Okay. It has nothing to do with, you know, the quality of their music or no, not at all. the handsomeness of their faces. Not at it all. It has everything to do with that. And by the end of this conversation, you are going to be on Spotify listening to this is Duran Duran or... I have no doubt. I, I, you know, I'll just send you my own personally curated Duran Duran playlist, which Thank is you. basically almost all their songs, but <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a text. You're going to make a fangirl out of me yet. Okay. I know it, Michelle. And you guys can't see Michelle, but she is wearing a Duran Duran pin, like an OG Duran mm-hmm. Duran pin. It's from my jean jacket. <laughs> For your jean jacket. You mm-hmm. sent me a picture of your ticket stub mm-hmm. to see Duran Duran. They were your first ever concert. This was a show on February 2nd, 1984. I'm looking at the ticket stub right now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that experience. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. First of all, before I tell you about that, can I just offer a little bit of a disclaimer to your listeners? Yes. Because I just wanted to, um, you know, those of you listening, if you are a Duran Duran fan and hoping that I'm going to be delving into the brilliance of their musicianship or the nuances of the type of music as it relates to the era or all this other kind of music-y stuff, um, I'm going to disappoint you. (laughs) The pressure is great, right? Yes. I'm coming to this conversation with feelings. 
like strong feelings that have stayed with me for four decades and with close to zero musical knowledge, just so everyone knows. (laughs) Um, And also I know that there's probably Duran Duran fans listening who will disagree with me about some things. And that's okay because we can all love them for different reasons and have different opinions. Sure. Just, so I hope you don't get upset just because mine are right. Um, <laughs> but to tell you about the concert, I have to back up just a little bit because yes. I'll be honest. And I don't think that it was their music that made me a fan at first. Obviously I think it was, they were just really lovely to look at. And it, you know, there's British boys, beautiful, beautiful British boys. Yes. yes. And, um, but then of course I became obsessed as obsessed with the music as I was with looking at them. You know, one thing that's a little different though, is Duran Duran, when they really came onto my radar, they were men. Like I was about 13, mm-hmm. I'm going to say almost 14, maybe when I started really my infatuation started Simon, who, as you'll hear, um, as the conversation keeps going, <laughs> Simon was mine. Like okay. my, my girlfriends and I, we each claimed one we chose and we couldn't choose the same one. We all played Duran Duran wives. And we actually like wrote like fantasy letters to each other, like our notes in school. Like I would write to my friend, Lisa, who was married to John Taylor. And it would be like, Oh, you know, do you want to come over tonight? Like the boys are on the road. So like you could come over and I'm inviting Kristen over. Cause Kristen was married to Nick. Oh. And then you would sign it like, you know, Michelle Laban. It's sort of like early fan fiction. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, because we're 13 year old girls, but Simon at the time was 24. So it's not like the kids today, my girls crushed on, you know, One Direction or Jonas Brothers. Yeah. They were almost their age mates, Mm. maybe only a couple years older than Uh they were. I mean, Duran Duran were men (laughs) and that made it even all the more intriguing titillating, um, enticing. They knew some shit, Michelle. Yeah. And they were just, yeah, they were just like worldly on oh, the British accents. And, oh, it was a time, Lori. It was a time. Um, so when Rio was released, um, they had re-released Duran Duran, Duran Duran, the, like their original, um, the debut album, the mm-hmm. debut album. And so in my memory, all those songs from their debut album in Rio are mushed together as mm-hmm. one album for me. Okay. I don't have a memory of like, and I remember when the Rio came out, right. all those songs to me, and these are all coming on my radar in about early 1983, probably. So flash forward to 1984, February, a Sing Blue Silver concert. It's in Seattle, Washington. We lived in a little town called Ridgefield, Washington. This is a general admission concert. As you can see from my ticket stub, it was $13.50. Oh. <laughs> it was. Can you imagine? So we've had about a year now of our devotion. And I mean, when I say devotion, I mean, it was, it was obsession, infatuation. It was throw yourself into this 100%. Obviously we were, we were their wives. I mean, I mean, we role play. Did you have the posters on your wall? Oh, posters everywhere. Yeah. It was almost like a decoupage. It was so many, I, not just posters, Lori, I would cut out quotes or I would write quotes in like fancy handwriting and script. And I still remember one to this day that I had on my wall and it was a quote from Simon Laban. And he said, if we build our success on a tissue ladder of lies and deception and images, something like we'll fall that part. I don't remember, but if we're honest and we are honest, we can stand on the ground we've created with that honesty. So oh. now for some reason that quote, which is 
not really like that profound or anything struck me, struck like 14 year old me. I had it written in like curly cute and I saw it every day. It was on my bathroom mirror. So that's why it probably, I still remember most of it, but um, general admission. So we were going to have to like leave at the crack of dawn. Seattle was a three hour drive. So there was a group of us. I think I sent you the picture, um, me and my uh, three of my best girlfriends, other wives, <laughs> of course, of <laughs> the, the Duran, band. Duran wives, mm-hmm. the band. Yeah. And then my sister who was a senior in high school at the time and her friends, we were all going to go while well, all of us happened to be cheerleaders and our moms had all okayed that we could be taken out of school the day of the concert. It was a school day. They were all going to just call us in sick. Well, the principal got wind of this and he called us all in like two days before. And he said, I hear there's a concert you guys, you girls are going to. And I want you to know that if you're not back at school the next day, when the bell rings, you're benched. Like you cannot cheer at the game. Well, we all kind of thought, oh, all right, who cares? However, our entire high school had not quite 400 people in it. We were the only cheerleaders. Like we had like three cheerleaders. So for some reason, we still got to be absent. I think because our moms like called us in sick and I guess they couldn't argue with that. I don't know. We drove up. We got there at the crack of dawn. We waited on the concrete like outside. I think it was like a chain link fence for something like 10 hours or so just to wait. I'll just never forget the doors opening because it was an arena, you know, and rushing in. And we were at the front of the line enough that when we rushed in, we could get down on the floor (gasps) and we were pretty close to the stage and people were just running, right? Running in behind us. And so we're these little 14 year old girls. And I started panicking a little bit because I was afraid I was going to get like crushed or something like that. Or I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to see over. So one of my friends and I ran up to a seat that wasn't that far up. So we ended up sitting, you know, up on Uh the bleachers and it opens with the strains of these music from a song called Tiger, Tiger. And I'll never forget the way I felt when you heard that. And I had never been to a concert before this big. So I was unfamiliar with like the video screen and they had that technology Mm -hmm. shockingly in 1984 and tiger, tiger starts and the entire place is screaming. I can hear it in my head right now. My friend, Kristen and I, we hugged each other and we're screaming and crying. Like we were watching the Beatles on Mm -hmm. Ed Sullivan. Like nobody was even out yet. Then all of a sudden tiger, tiger, it's just instrumental. People listening will know. And then all of a sudden you just hear from the black stage, you see nothing. And all you hear is, please, please tell me now. Do, do, please. And we lost it. I mean, sobbing so hard, we couldn't see. And then the lights, ca- I'm covered in goosebumps right now. The lights came up and there they were, and oh. they were all wearing white, but yet, oh my God, Lori, I think, feel like I'm going to cry. Just remembering it. It was one of the most like magical experiences of my life. Like <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, I mean, but it, it was. doesn't, it doesn't, you know, when you really, really love a musician or a band, and especially if you're new to the concert experience, it is completely transformative. It changes your life. It's such a big moment. This is why I have loved so much bringing my kids to concerts from a young age. Yes. You know, and, and when we started doing it, people were like, really, you're going to bring your kids. I'm like, absolutely. This is an experience kids need to have. My older daughter's 26. And when she was little, we went to that coveted the very first Hannah Montana slash Miley Cyrus concert that Mm -hmm. nobody could get tickets to. 
because I wanted to raise a fangirl of course, um, that I could be proud of. And um, so, yes, I took her to Hillary Duff because she was in, obsessed mm-hmm. with Lizzie McGuire. But it, there was something about when she went to her first One Direction concert as like a high school junior, Mm -hmm. because that was right when they started. And she caught on, I mean, she caught the one direction from the very beginning from right when they were just coming onto the scene and was obsessed. I used to really equate that to how I felt about Duran Duran and they weren't as old, (laughs) they weren't older men, but just the thrill of knowing what she was going to experience at that one direction concert and she did, you know, so yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's a really important experience in our formative years to have crushes like that. And we talk about that a lot in our podcast, the importance of crushes. They play a really important role in your adolescence and in your development. Oh, absolutely. Me and my friends, we used to crush hard on, on some metal bands and we just thought they were the sexiest ever. Yeah, I mean, you right. know, those leather pants, like yeah, more of that, please. Yeah. It's just that, that little bit of, and I think with us, with Duran Duran too, it was um, because they were older, like I've said, and everything, it was just, gosh, it was almost a little bit of danger. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, they we were, were these good bad boys. Well, and we were very good girls, you know, mm-hmm. we're 13, 14 year old and we were very good girls. And I say all the time, you know, Simon LeBon was my first crush. And like I've just said too, we talk about crushes. I can go back to, you know, Donnie Osmond was my first innocent crush. He was, he was truly my puppy love. Mm-hmm. Then we, I moved on to Scott Bayo, which was my first complete infatuation, but it was a very innocent crush. Right. I didn't have like those types of feelings, right. you know, <laughs> we'll put feelings in like italics capital with Scott Bayo. It was, I wanted him to hold my hand. I saw him in concert and I wouldn't get too close to the stage because I was terrified he was going to see me. I was 10 years old. I was terrified he was going to see me and want to marry me. And I was like, well, I <laughs> that's quite scary. ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready. And then Simon LeBon was 100% my first crush where you have those feelings. And Mm -hmm. that's an important crush too. He was a little bit dangerous. He was a bad boy. And I think, you know, all girls need to have that type of fantasy and crush, you know, to be perfectly honest with you. So why not let it be someone from Skid Row or someone from Duran Duran or someone from One Direction, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. And, you know, because I'm such a novice with Duran Duran, I'm looking up like, who's who, honestly, this is so embarrassing. People are going to come for me. I might come through my screen at you right now. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed to say it. I thought Duran Duran was two dudes. Duran, Duran. I don't know why I thought that. I I just did. I don't. Until recently? Yeah. I don't know that I spent time with these videos before. Lori, we have a lot to cover. <laughs> I'm so horrified. Listeners, I have my work cut out for me today. People love Duran Duran. I feel like mm-hmm. such a traitor to the Gen X generation. Wow. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh my God, there's so many people in the band. And then I'm looking at their names and I'm like, three Taylors? Are they brothers? And I'm Googling this and my husband's like, yeah, they're totally brothers. No, and he knows a lot of Duran Duran. And then I find out, okay, the Taylors are not related. Mm-hmm. I tell him that he's like, what, how is that possible? How are three of the five people in that band? Mm-hmm. How do they have a last name Taylor? And they're not related. I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought there were two dudes in the band. <laughs> I yeah. Were you thinking of Wham or were you just really, so, I don't know. I, I really, it's like, 
Duran Duran has honestly been a huge blind spot for me. Oh my gosh. I know. You're I know. missing out on so much. Okay. I, I am so excited for, for the I, next, what's going to happen in your life after I this. mean, right. Like the next chapter of my life is about to begin. Well, let me just tell you, basically right now you are Dorothy. Your, your life has been black and white up until this about point. To come, become you are technicolor. about to be full technicolor. Oh man. It's all happening. <laughs> so Okay, Duran Duran, it's five guys. They were dubbed the Fab Five by the British press. And this album was released on May 10th, 1982. In terms of the conceptualization of like what they wanted this album to be, John Taylor thought they should call it Rio because they had done all this travel in support of their first album. And to him, It was like the most exotic things in life could only come from a place with such a colorful, seductive, welcoming spirit. And a place like that in his mind was Rio. Mm -hmm. And so Rio was born. That's right. And Mm -hmm. I think um, to this day, Rio is considered Duran Duran's like magnum opus. Like it is their breakthrough album. It's the one that still is thought by most critics to be their best, their most defining, their masterpiece. And I think that's really important just because I think that, and maybe even some of your friends or age mates, sisters, whatever, um, you know, got swept up in this Duran mania, right? In the 1980s. And so for so many people, because it they were such a band that the girls went completely crazy over, that often overshadowed how good their music was. So a lot of people in the 80s kind of discounted Duran Duran, especially like people who didn't crush on them. They almost were just like, didn't even really give them a chance. It was more like, oh, well, that's that's the band that all the girls are going crazy over. Right. There can't be substance there. They're too pretty. Right. And so it almost also became kind of not an embarrassment, but it was like, oh, Duran Duran's your favorite band? Like, I roll, you know, like, uh-huh. of course they are. You're a mm-hmm. girl in 1984. Of course mm-hmm. it's Duran Duran. But what a lot of those people were missing is that they're brilliant musicians. And I'm not just, I'm honestly not just saying that because I, I love them. Um, but their music is regarded very highly by people who actually do know music and music critics to this day, a lot of very astute, I guess you could say music critics and everything, um, count Duran Duran as one of their favorite bands. And certainly so influential. Of course, New Wave is coming on the scene hot, but like yep. they were poetic and they were deep and they were kind of emo <laughs> and they had a yeah. lot to say. You know, so much of this album is so moody. Yes. It's a mood. It's everything. Rio yeah. is everything. You get the best bops. You mm-hmm. get the most like sensual type music. Mm-hmm. You get very serious. You get haunting. One thing I will say. Duran Duran lyrics are basically have always to me just been kind of a cluster. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my please. God, please. <laughs> okay. Honestly, some of my most misheard lyrics of my life are from Duran Duran songs. However, if you just kind of go with what you think Simon's singing, and even if it makes zero sense to you, usually you're right because <laughs> usually you're like, that can't be what he's saying, but that's what it sounds like. And you're singing it and you look up the lyrics, you're usually, and you know, back in the day would take the little thing out of our cassette. You know, I look really careful. Mm -hmm. I could see back then. So I could see them, but I would um, be like, no, that is exactly what he's saying. 
So they don't make a ton of sense. There's a lot of message boards online now where people debate what a lot of Duran Duran songs are trying. Like, what's the meaning behind the song? Because a lot of people have, they just don't know. Yeah. Wow. I love it. And what about the cover art? What did you think about it? It's so classic. So that's that classic Patrick Nagel design, which is basically, I think, is supposed to kind of represent the quintessential 1980s woman. It is a classic. That is a framer. That album cover is one that you can put in a frame. It's absolute art. I mean, Mm -hmm. this woman is very like mysterious, very exotic. Mm -hmm. And she looked like maybe a girl named Rio would look, (laughs) right? She sure does. Yes. I mean, she really did. I saw somewhere when I was reading that it's been acclaimed as one of the greatest album covers of all time, Mm. which I don't know, but I guess Nagel had never done an album cover before he did Rio and they asked him. He he was was like like, an artist for Playboy. Right. That's right. Yes. I read that too. And he was like, sure, I'll give it a try. And it became this iconic cover. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. And what was really unusual for Duran Duran was that they maintained creative control over their brand and like they worked outside of the label with like independent artists and folks to like keep the look and feel of the Rio branding, what they wanted it to be Mm -hmm. because, you know, record companies, they've got their bright ideas and they were Mm -hmm. very clear in what they wanted the Rio vision to look like. Right. They're not just pretty faces, Lori. No, (laughs) no. Those boys are the whole package. I mean, they got it all. They really do. <laughs> so let's talk about the track list here. Okay, for a let's do it. Yeah. What was your favorite song on the album? Oh, don't. You can't choose. They're they're like children. Yeah, I can. Um, I can. Like I said, I, I'm not a music aficionado. I just know what I like. Right. On this album, it's a toss-up, but I think edging out is is Rio. And I think it's just because um, I mean, tell me you can listen to the opening of Rio without playing air drums. And I'll tell you, you're a liar. Like there is no way done, done, done. You're listening to it dun, dun, dun. as you're driving in your car, you're hitting those three drums. Like, and then it's like, down. it's a hook. <laughs> you're transported on vacation. You, like you're there. And the song is just a joy ride for me. Like it's such a single, it's one of the most singable Duran Duran songs mm-hmm. I feel when I hear Rio, I feel like I'm on that boat with them flying across the Caribbean. I honestly do. It's a feel good song. It's so fun to sing to as usual. The lyrics just are bizarre and fun, right? It's like a playful song. And so I think that I would have to say of all, I have a, I love this whole album. There's only maybe one or two songs that I would fast forward through, but this song, yeah, this will be my number one. It's my number one too. Mm-hmm. And that might be because it's the one that I'm the, well, hungry, like the wolf. I'm mm-hmm. pretty damn familiar with. How can you not yeah. be? But yeah, I think Rio is my pick too for favorite. <laughs> now, least favorite. You said there's one or two you'd skip. Let's see. So I have, let's see, I have them all in order. I would say it's hard. I, and I'm not going to call it least favorite because I like this song, but if I, ha- if I was forced okay. to order them, probably the one that would be at the bottom would be hold back the rain. And I like that song so much. No, no, I'm changing it. My, the one at the very bottom would probably last chance on the stairway because um, there's a lot about hold back the rain that I actually like a lot, but um, I I don't don't make me Lori. This was supposed to be fun. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. Why? Hold back the rain was written by Simon Le Bon as a plea 
to John Taylor for him to like slow down his partying. Right. That's right. Yes. Like his drinking and drug use had mm-hmm. begun to kind of spiral out of control and it was worrying the band. Laban said, the night I wrote it, I just slipped a copy under his door and he's never even mentioned it to me. Never. Simon Laban is so caring and he is so thoughtful. I mean, he's your husband. No wonder, no wonder <laughs> you chose him. That man tries everything he can to help those friends of his that he's worried about. Uh, through song. Hold Back the Rain, I heard, was edited down from 10 minutes, actually. It was, oh, wow. But it's a good song. It's just, if I'm if I'm ordering them, I'm- Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Oh, yeah. So another one of their songs, though, that is not quite as well-known as, you know, the Rio's, The Hungry uh-huh. Like the Wolf, The Save of Prayers. There's one called Lonely in Your Nightmare that is just a beautiful song. And I'm telling you what, back- you know, in 1983, when Simon sings, you're so lonely in your nightmare, let me in. He clearly was singing it to me. And (laughs) that was so unfair to everybody else listening to it. But, you know, I just let him, I just, I didn't say anything. Right. But that's a beautiful song. I feel like it's just really kind of sensual. Oh, I would agree with you. I really like this song. I'm glad you brought it up. It's a very intimate song. Mm-hmm. Like, let me let me into the worst parts of you and your life mm-hmm. and what you're going yeah. through. And well, I want to really like good. walk this journey with you. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's he has a beautiful soul, Lori. Um, <laughs> beautiful man with a beautiful soul. It, that's all there is to it. Another one that is such a fun song. Did you like New Religion? It's very fast. I liked it. It was a, it was a dance number. Like I could totally see myself rocking out to this at a discotheque. Yes. And it's one that the more you listen to it and it's very fast and he has a lot to say in this Mm -hmm. song. And this one is according to people on the internet, um, which this I think is kind of the well-known thought that it's about the dialogue between your ego and your alter ego. And it's really evidenced by once you get to the chorus, it's the two voices singing over each other, Mm -hmm. which is my favorite part of that song. But that song goes so fast and he's, he's almost like rapping it. He's singing so fast. Mm -hmm. And to this day, and I've probably listened to it, you know, how many hundreds of times over my life, there's only certain like phrases I can throw out. So it's one of those (laughs) where you're singing in the car. I'm just singing a whole bunch of like, sort of like when I sing to the Bee Gees, I'm like, it's going to have time for the friend of mine to make the noise. (laughs) Like every fourth word. Yeah. And then I get to the chorus and I'm all like, I can't stop myself. It's a new religion. But then when he's doing the other part, I'm just sort of like, like, taking all time with a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's a really, it's a bop too. It's a fun song. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That one actually is a pretty popular song. I don't, I wouldn't call that one a lesser known. I think a lot of people really have strong feelings about new religion in a good way. What did you think of the chauffeur? The chauffeur. Let me, let's start with the chauffeur. Are we talking song or video first with chauffeur? There's a video. Oh, Lori. What? Oh my goodness. Did I miss oh, that? Listeners, oh my god. Listeners, listeners. Can we all just take a moment right now to hold Lori softly and stroke her hair? Lori does not deserve to host this podcast. Lori, the video for the chauffeur take is over, basically Michelle. this very artsy black and white. It's like you're watching a movie in an art house. Is it like film noir type style? 100%. Okay. Oh my god, you guys, I'm so sorry. Let me just, let me just set this up for you and for listeners who might not have seen it. So, you know, there's lots, it starts out, there's lots of beautifully, uh, beautiful, um, like scantily dressed women in garter belts, see through leotards, corsets. One happens to be riding in the back of 
like a 1920s chauffeur, uh, okay. uh, like limo, limo. In, mm-hmm. in London. And she's in the beautiful lingerie, but she's kind of like rubbing her hands on herself. She's got like a garter belt on. It's this very sexy scene. Her chauffeur kind of keeps glancing in the, you know, the rearview mirror at her. Then we cut to this other woman who is in her own, like her boudoir. Mm -hmm. And she is in a bra and underwear, putting on her garter belt, beautiful woman. And it's all done very beautifully. Let's just say that. Let me just say that. So she's getting dressed and she puts on a trench coat and she starts walking through the streets of London. She meets up with the woman who's in the car and they walk slowly toward each other and they just touch hands and they just start doing this little dance back and forth, staring into each other's eyes and doing this dance. It's very sensual. And it's almost like you're watching it going, Oh my God, what's about to happen. I don't know if I should watch or if I shouldn't watch. And then a chauffeur gets out of another car and comes walking, takes the hat off. And it's a woman takes the chauffeur coat off and she's topless what she's watching the other two women touch hands and kind of do this back and forth. And she starts doing this very like sensual kind of rhythm dance. And it's very, she's just kind of doing this solo dance the whole time. And then, so she's, she's off to the side and then you've got the male chauffeur who's like watching the whole thing. And he's like best day ever. (laughs) So it was every, I guarantee you all the like 13 year old boys who were like, Duran Duran's stupid, Duran Duran sucks. When this video would come, if it, I'm not even sure if MTV was allowed to show it, but we're probably like, love that video. It's a very sexy video. It's beautifully shot. Watching it as a 53 year old woman again, the other day, I'm appreciating that it's beautifully shot. There's nothing that crosses the line with it. Did it cross the line in 1983 to be played on MTV, probably I would imagine. Was it too sexy for me to watch if I saw it at age 13? Yeah, probably. But it was probably also titillating. There's nothing Mm -hmm. dirty about it. There's nothing wrong. It's these beautiful women. They're not doing anything. They're just, you know, there's just that, that almost, you know, are are they, or are they not going to do something? So, and the song, it's just, to me, the chauffeur just has this haunting pulse do, 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 do. Uh, apologies, everyone. I can't sing. So when I try to recreate things of songs, it's, it sounds perfect in my head. <laughs> um, and then he says, and the sun drips down, bedding heavy behind the front of your dress, all shadowy lined and the droning engine throbs in time with your beating heart while it's going do, 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 do. Yep. And this is the song where he says, sing blue, silver, And that became the title of their tour. That became, don't ask me what any of this song means or anything. It's just, to me, the chauffeur is just this haunting, beautiful song that once I hear it, it becomes an earworm for me for Wow. Well, did you know that, I mean, I didn't even know there was a video, so let's just start there, but please watch it. Please. I will. I will watch it. As soon as we're done here, I will absolutely watch it. LeBon's lyrics for the chauffeur were what helped him get the gig in Duran Duran. Oh, really? Yes. So Duran Duran was looking for a lead singer and like one of the guys worked with a girl at this club. They were, they were performing at a club. Like I think they were like a house band and she was like, oh, well, my boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, whatever, Simon, like he might be a really good fit. And so Simon came and he came with this little like book of song lyrics and poetry because, mm-hmm. you know, he's a sensitive soul yeah. and a poet and a poet. <laughs> yes. And he came with these lyrics and we're like, dude, 
Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, the heart and soul. There oh you go. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, and the chauffeur is a song that really showcases his voice, to be quite honest I with see. you. He has his voice has this tremendous range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just like I'm not just complimenting him. It actually does. He can sing. I love the songs where he sings super low on, but when he gets to the sing blue silver part and the chauffeur, it's just, it's a beautiful moment. I will definitely check it out. Good. Good. Yeah. Do you want to jump into Rio? Do you want to talk about the video? Sure. Let's talk about the video. That is a, that is a crazy ride, isn't it? Oh my God. It's so fun. So as I mentioned earlier, John Taylor, the man with the Rio vision, he said Rio to me was shorthand for the truly foreign, the exotic, a cornucopia of earthly delights, a party that would never stop. (laughs) And this video is a party that never stops. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy, Mulcahy. I don't know. He directed a lot of their videos and he's directed videos for like Elton John, Spandau Ballet, Fleetwood Mac, Billy Joel, lots Mm. of people. All great artists. All great artists. And the video was filmed over three days in Antigua, Mm -hmm. an island in the Caribbean Sea. It's a fun fever dream, that video. Oh my like, God, isn't it? It's bizarre. Don't don't watch that video and try to make sense of it. Just go with it. Like if you try to put a story together, you're just going to leave disappointed. Just enjoy it. <laughs> it's a clusterfuck. I'm like, what the fuck? What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, it opens with crotch shots, right? Like John's <laughs> taking pictures of them. The camera zooming in on them. Nick like basically comes out of the water face to face with them. It's just like the lyrics of most of their songs. Like, it's just a cluster. I mean, the iconic part of this video is the chorus when they're mm-hmm. flying through the water on that that yacht. And if you watch it closely, when I was watching it the other day again, I was dying. I Something I never noticed in all the times. Simon's at the front. And he, right. at one point, he's sitting like on the like the bow, the, you know, the, the big stick thing that goes forward, right? <laughs> we're, we're boat people. <laughs> Can't you exactly. <laughs> the stick in front. <laughs> There's a net under it. He was going to be fine. Um, but if you look over on the side, now you you might not know, but Lori, these are members of the band and it's Nick is one of them. And um, behind him- I gathered that, Michelle. That much I gathered. Behind him, um, now I'm forgetting who's behind him. They are holding onto the ropes for dear life because that <laughs> boat is like on its side, flying through the water. And how terrified must they have been? Oh my God. So scary. In fact, Nick Rhodes- did not enjoy shooting this video at all. I don't blame him. <laughs> he was seasick like the whole time. He said, I hate boats unless they're tied oh. up and you're having cocktails on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely, that boat is not tied up and it is no. listing to its side. And that poor guy, because at least the other side, you're kind of flying through the water. He's down where it's like bumping on the water oh, the whole time. Oh my God. But that's iconic part of the video. That's yes. the fun. But uh, my favorite parts of the video is um, there's this lady and she's floating on a, um, like a raft made yes. of logs. Yeah. She's just floating. I think she might even be having a cocktail. Yeah. She's and all you see is a hand come out of the ocean with a tray with so a pink plastic, tele- yeah, with a pink plastic, like toy telephone. So she picks it up and then you see Simon on the boat and he has the matching blue plastic toy telephone mm-hmm. and he starts the second verse and she yanks the cord and from like, you know, However many feet away, Simon with, there's no cord. He goes flying into the water and it's just so random. It's so random. So many things are random. Like the, the colorful cocktail that they drink oh, yeah. underwater. underwater. 
Or what about, uh, what about Rogers going down to the, um, he's like trotting on down and here comes this really sexy, like Vixen coming out. She's in this beautiful, like one piece suit, but she somehow, for some reason has like a big, like shark knife attached to her. Yes, um, it was thigh. Very, like, that was like a very bond bathing suit. It was like a bond, bond move yeah. out of the yeah. water. Yeah. And so she's coming out and you think, oh no, Roger, he's going to get knived, but no, he doesn't get knived. Instead he gets bit by like this giant crab, crab. And he's, like, <laughs> trying to shake it off his foot. And she like kicks him and he goes, flipping back. (laughs) Simon's like running down the dock in a speedo. And then this like CGI giant ball or something comes bouncing. (laughs) Knocks him off the little pier into the water. Oh my God. And that painted woman, the woman with the body paint, what's with the painted woman. And then like at one point her foot just shows up and she's just, just a polka dot foot. This painted vixen woman, her name is Rima Rispoli. She -hmm. is now a princess. She's married to a prince. She lives in Tuscany. Look what being associated with them can do for you. I mean, <laughs> you could become a princess. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. And then there's scenes, I guess um, there's parts of the video, little short segments that are trying to show the different band members living out their sort of daydreams. Like John's reading like this comic. And then all of a sudden he's like army crawling on the beach. He's right. all of a sudden in his comic, but it's like they had that idea, which is a good idea for a video. And they shot like two little vignettes of it. And then they're like, nah. Let's just do some other weird shit. And, but we're going to keep those things in like splice, 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 splice. <laughs> like none of it makes it. You're trying to follow. Like, what is the, the arc of this story? Like, no, what is happening? You can't do here? it. No, you, you just have to go with it and just you have, have fun to go with it. it. It's a good time. This has been viewed over uh, 7 million times on <gasps> YouTube. It seems like it would be more, but people, I was looking at the comments. Someone said, I want to permanently live in this music video. <laughs> I'll, I'll second that. Yeah. A lot of people were just going on and on and on about how absolutely sick and amazing the baseline is in this song. Now, see, I don't know that kind of stuff, but yes, I'll agree. Apparently it is fire. So, well, and you know, like I said, from the beginning, those, those drums at the very beginning, and then you've also got right before the chorus it's, I love it when it goes, and I'm going to assume it's um, Nick's keyboard or it could be a guitar. I don't know. Right before they say her name is Rio. It goes. Yes. I love that part. That's another musical moment for me that I look forward to in that song. It's such a fun song. The song reached number six on the Billboard 200. Oh, that's not high enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Hungry Like the Wolf. We could talk about this <sighs> all day. In an interview with Blender Magazine, Andy Taylor said that track came in from fiddling with new technology that was starting to come into the studio. And apparently the lyrics were inspired by Little Red Riding Hood. And John Taylor said that he doesn't really know what the lyrics mean, but they were probably about meeting girls and or wanting to have sex with someone. So there you go. I would just say they probably could use that answer just for the, the years, you know, 1980 to like <laughs> 19, until they all got married. They right. could just probably say that's basically what our lyrics, our music and our life was about. Yeah. Hungry Like the Wolf is just all caps, a bop. From the giggling girl at the beginning yep. to the do, 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 do. I love some good doo-doos, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to it's a perfect pop song to me. It's just a sing-along song like Rio. You can't help it. That's another, you can't help sing along. It's a good time. And Hungry Like the Wolf is to this day played all the time. All the time. I've been living in Duran Duran, Rio for the past few days doing just some, you know, research for this episode. 
And twice in the past few days, once it was playing in Target, and once I had to go pick up something I had framed at a frame shop, and I walked into the frame shop and Hungry Like the Wolf was playing. So it's still, it's on that. (laughs) But I love that um, this generation is growing up with it too. You know, my daughters who are 26 and 21, they they know Duran Duran. They know, well, because their mother played it a lot and it's on almost all my playlists, but songs, especially like Hungry Like the Wolf, they know from me, but they would know from just hearing it. Right. Just living in the world. Hungry Like the Wolf is definitely one that you hear a lot. If you had to pick a handful of Duran Duran songs that are still played Mm -hmm. or that today's generation could tell you, Hungry Like the Wolf is, I think, one of the first ones they would mention. I mean, it's certainly the one that I'm the most familiar with, and Mm -hmm. I'm not introducing my kids to Duran Duran. I know, shame on me, but hopefully the world is Mm -hmm. like the targets of the world and grocery stores (laughs) of the world are doing their job and they will know this song. For the video, they wanted like jungles and exotic women. And so the director was like, hey, Sri Lanka is where it's at. I was just there. It would be perfect. So their label, EMI, spent $200,000 to send them. I mean, that's a lot of money at that time. Andy Taylor described the video as Indiana Jones is horny and wants to get laid. (laughs) Okay. Again, that could just, that's a blanket statement, Andy. So I, um, it's not a fun fact about me. It's a terrible thing to live with. It's a debilitating thing, but I have a serious debilitating phobia of snakes. So in most of their videos from this album, there's a snake because in most of the videos from the Rio album, they happen to be in Sri Lanka or Uh in Antigua or in these islands. But I know enough about Hungry Like the Wolf. Like when I rewatched it the other day had probably, it's been decades since I've seen this video. I knew to close my eyes at the beginning of this video because With there's the a snake, snake the charmer beginning. in the restaurant. Yes, but yes. I know when to open my eyes because very soon after that, the camera comes over to the next table and we see Simon looking like a real sexy Carmen San Diego. Mm-hmm. And he's there. We got the little round glasses. He's got the great hat on. And then he gets very angry and he throws the table. Does a table flip. And then he's on a chase. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he's chasing this woman. He's on a hunt, right? I'm on a hunt. I'm after you. Is that the lyric? Yes. Okay. I, got, I nailed it, guys. I got I'm it. on the. I'm on the hunt. I'm after you. Okay. And he's he's having all these Indiana Jones moments for sure. He's on boats. He's um on rope bridges. He's in yes. great peril at some point. He's falling through. Oh no! And for some reason, the rest of the band can't find him. He's just <laughs> taken off. They're just riding around in jeeps looking for him. They're the rest of the band. He's chasing this this painted another painted woman. Yes. But I feel like she's sort of supposed, is she a wolf? We don't know. Could we say she's a wolf? Because at the end, when they have their tussle, she gives him the giant scratch on his neck for Simon. But he needs to catch her. But the rest of the band is just like, where did he get? They're asking people. They're all walking around too. I love that they're all in different variations of a white, like Like some of them have on like white jackets with no shirt. Right. Some of them, (laughs) they're all dressed, of course, to to match. But the best part of this video, we're all just going to have a moment for it. Okay. Simon has been running. He's been running and he's so exhausted. Poor boy. He collapses on a rock. Oh, and he yes. collapses and he's exhausted and he's dehydrated. Right. And so this little boy comes and back in the day, I like to imagine that was me. Um, and he's got a wet rag and he, but he can squeeze it over Simon's parched face and his mouth and he's opening his mouth and he's squeezing the water in his mouth. <laughs> When I was rewatching it the other day, I just had to chuckle because I just had this very real feeling of remembering watching that at age, you know, 13, 14. And just like, 
that was sort of a sensual thing, right? Like that's and you're like, a, I wish I was that boy. Yes. Give me the wet rag. I'll squeeze it into your mouth, Simon. And he's like <laughs> trying to sing, but it's kind of funny watching it now. He's trying to lip sync and the boy is squeezing the water <laughs> and <laughs> opens his mouth and you know, he was probably choking the whole time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so then there's this big drum part right at the, right before the bridge of the song. And he comes face to face with the woman and they have this tussle on the ground and she scratches him and poor Simon, he's scratched. And, and then he ends up back in the bar with the band and they seem to all be having a great time. That fight between them, the painted woman, the, the animal woman, her name is Sheila Ming. She was a Bermudian model. That tussle that they have, yeah. it's very like sexy jungle foreplay stuff. Like it was pretty sexy, right? You kind of don't know. Is it that or is it, or is she like trying to kill him? Yeah. Is it both? The way that they shoot it is they kind of like do this stop. Like yes. it's almost done like kind of jerky. Yes. You know, what's funny about this though, Lori, is that we did an episode at Pop Culture Preservation Society back um, coming up on about a year ago on MTV. And one of the things we all had to share is one of our favorite videos. Okay. And I think I said Hungry Like the Wolf or Rio. But the reason I said Hungry Like the Wolf in the episode is because I said, you get to see Simon crawling on the ground, almost like that, you know, that wolf crawl. You don't like that's something, isn't that weird? Our memories are so weird in my memory for decades of hungry, like the wolf, Simon, like crawls toward the camera. It's total Mandela effect stuff. Absolutely does not. Right. (laughs) It it is so funny how our memories play tricks on us like that. Maybe it's because I imagined (laughs) crawling like that towards me. In your fantasy, (laughs) he was crawling toward you. Yes. I don't this know. album actually wasn't doing so hot in the States until MTV put the video on like damn near constant rotation. And this video was the thing that just catapulted them to superstardom mm-hmm. in America. And Les Garland, the senior executive VP of MTV, he said, I remember our director of talent and artist relations come running in and say, you have got to see this video that's come in. <laughs> Duran Duran was getting zero radio airplay at the time, and MTV wanted to try and break new music. Hungry Like the Wolf was the greatest video I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. You know, they say, um, so Martha Quinn, who at the time was one of the original Uh OG uh, VJs, who I just, she was my favorite. I loved her. Um, I read a quote from her that said, everyone says MTV made Duran Duran. She said, but you know what? Duran Duran made MTV too, which is kind of true. I think it was, it was kind of the same. And I think the reason um, back then the videos were very much just bands playing their instruments. They Mm -hmm. might've done some kind of funny little, and then some of Duran Duran's videos are like that too. In fact, one of the tracks from this album is called my own way. And I love that song. And I love that video one, because I love Simon and a headband and Simon's rocking a nice red headband and a black leather jacket. Um, John's got the red hair. John also, I'm going to tell you, John is John Taylor is, is just to me as appealing as Simon, but he's my friendly says husband from 1983. So I can't go there. Cross that boundary. No, he's more just like my good friend. Yeah. But I love the videos that Duran Duran does where they're just playing their instruments and singing as well. But back then when MTV started, a lot of videos were like that. Yeah. And so Duran Duran comes in, they have this kind of artistic spin, even if like Rio, they're not making a lot of sense. Hungry Like the Wolf arguably makes more sense than the Rio one does. Sure. You can construct a story with Hungry Like the Wolf. With Rio, you're kind of like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Just Let's have fun. <laughs> but I think that's what made 
people sit up and take notice of them is because they are coming in, they're doing videos, unlike videos that really had been seen. Right, right. It was all new and fresh. And Mm -hmm. for this album, most of the videos really like transport you somewhere that you would never otherwise Mm -hmm. have a chance to see, Mm -hmm. like really exotic locations where Mm -hmm. life is really different. And they kind of give you like slice of life imagery. Right. And it's it's fun. It's fun to see. Mm -hmm. And of course, the song ended up huge. It peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. It won the first Grammy Award for best, (laughs) they used to call it best short form music video in 1984. (laughs) Yeah, because there were long forms. Would that be like, yeah, I mean, that format was so new. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was a good time. This video has been viewed over 16 million times. Mm. And someone said, that little giggle at the beginning is the most underrated thing in the history of music. It's like you said, when you hear that. Yeah. Is that what the one? Oh, no, it's on Rio. Was it's one of them, either that one or the girl on Rio is Nick Rhodes's girlfriend. I think it's on Rio, though. Oh, someone said, I was actually afraid of this video as a small child. Now it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, you know, Simon, you're, you get kind of worried about him. He's in real danger for a minute. Yeah. It's real touch and go there for a second. To this day, this is Duran Duran's number one streaming song. Well, that's the reason it's played in Target. There we go. Yeah. It peaked at number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and reached number three on the U.S. year-end charts for 83. Wow. So quite wow. successful. Yeah. So you touched on my own way. Yep. It's a good song. That's a bop too. And it's a fun video. Watch the video. They all look so cute in that. They're so young. I like this song, but John Taylor says that it's not a favorite. This was never a U.S. single. It was a single in the U.K., but not in the U.S. Mm -hmm. They never even released this song I read on any of their compilation albums. Really, It's not a favorite by any of them. And it's here's the thing. If I'm going to make a top 10 list, it's not going to even make my top 10. Okay. Um, In fact, I tried to make a top five list last night. Oh my God. Like, it was like, I was studying for like the, you know, the bar or like the MCATs. I was like, no, no, I'm crossing things out. I'm putting things in different places. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Diagrams. And I will say too, to those people listening, like I'm very much an OG Durandran. Like one thing that I love about them is they've really never stopped performing. Now, Andy, he's come and gone. Roger kind of came and went too, but um, Roger's back with them. Andy, there've just been too many creative differences. So Andy is no longer with them, which is fine. Andy was my least favorite anyway, but they just released an album. That's fantastic. They're still touring because guess who's going to see them in (gasps) August? Yes. Who has really good seats. My husband just, God bless him. He loves Duran Duran too, but like, he just has no idea what he's in store for. I haven't been since that 1984 concert. You're going to cry. Oh, cry. Fangirl out, freak out. I'm going to be like shaking. I, I'm going to need to be medicated. Um, So I'm very excited. Anyway, so they're still touring. You know, they're in their, they're, Simon's 65, they 64. Great. He's a grandfather. He's been married to the same woman since 1985, which if I go back in time, I realized Yasmin and I, I knew who she was. <laughs> I didn't want to ever learn too much about her because she was my <laughs> direct competition. Right. Um, I'll never forget the name Claire Stansfield in my whole life because that's who his girlfriend was when I was in love with him. Mm, That bitch. That bitch, Claire Stansfield. (laughs) So he ended up marrying Yasmin in 1985. They're still married to this day. They have three gorgeous daughters. I mean, gorgeous. One of them sings. She's on their latest record. And he has two grandchildren. Wow. 
I know. Here's the thing. I do not crush on Simon LeBon today. I just don't. Again, we talk a lot about crushes in our podcast. One of our hosts, Kristen, is a crushologist. Yes. Um, <laughs> she actually has studied a lot about crushes and their meaning. And there is something to that. It's, it's living in this nostalgic time. I don't live in the past. I, I'm going to go see them in July or in August. It's going to be a different experience because I can see them on an interview and I don't feel like I'm going to cry or get all fan girly mm-hmm. because they're 60 something year old men. But you honor that 14 year old girl in you by going back and seeing them and by seeing them sing, you know, the reflex, which is my number one Duran Duran song. You see that, you know, you see them sing these songs and you, you get that feeling inside. It takes you back to that time, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. you feel all those same emotions again. It's I'm going to see new kids on the block. See, and I missed out on that boy. I missed out on the new kids on the block, the 98 degrees. I was a big fan of NSYNC, but as a, aren't they so cute little, you know, I was older. Right. But with Duran Duran too, I am a huge fan. It's those first three albums. They have so many songs since then that I love. Ordinary World and I Wild Boys. I love Ordinary and, World. Yes. And so they have a lot of good music. You know, they've branched out. They've done their own thing. John and Andy did their own thing. Simon did something different for a while. I'm not a diehard fan of all that music. Mm-hmm. I honestly think once Simon got married in about 1985, I was kind of done in about 1986. And mm-hmm. I had moved on to the Brat Pack. I was all Andrew McCarthy and Rob Lowe. And uh. I still loved their music, but does that make me not as true of a fan as the people who still love all the stuff? I don't know, but I don't don't think so. Yeah. Let's talk save a prayer. Listen, we can talk save a prayer if you'll let me have a cigarette after. (laughs) And I don't smoke. (laughs) That's the only way I can talk to you about this song, Lori. Okay. (sighs) This song is about, quote, a realistic, not romantic one night stand. It was written by Laban when the band was on tour. And he said that the chorus of this song is based on Gordon Lightfoot's If You Could Read My Mind. Okay. I know that song. I know all the words to that song. We could sing it right now. Yeah. I just, when I read that the other day, I was singing that song on my head going, I'm not hearing it, but maybe. I'm not hearing it either. That's what I was going to ask you. I don't know. Okay, and Simon can say all he wants that it's um that it's not romantic. Okay. That one night stand was so romantic. Like some people call it a one night stand, but we can call it paradise is what he sings. Yes. And come on, and his voice is one of the words I abhor most in the English language for some reason is the word tender. Mm. But I'm telling you Simon's voice is tender in this song. And maybe he didn't set out to make this a romantic song lyrically. But the song to me is so romantic and so sexy and you pair it with the video too. It's next level. And I feel like, well, I don't feel like I've read, I know this to be true, that this is a song that really made people stand up and take notice of Duran Duran. I think just seeing how they could be so like um, varied in their musical and what they're producing and what they're creating. It's a beautiful song. It's in my top five. No question. Like that one has a place in my top five. It sounds like a dream. The song sounds like a dream. That's beautiful. It does. It was filmed in Sri Lanka between the ancient rock fortress and the Buddhist temple. It feels so sacred. The song feels sacred and dreamy. 
And I feel like they almost give the song respect and like, they almost like, first of all, I was reading a lot of, I guess I could say fun facts about shooting this video, which mm-hmm. are not really fun at all um, because there was a civil war, I think going on at the time yes. there or something. And it, it was very perilous for them to be there, but just from the beginning, he's just sort of sitting on this sofa and he's in this white suit and he's just singing out the window. He's just kind of looking wistfully. But then he turns and he looks right into the camera and then just the slow dancing with the woman, another snake in this video, by the way, which I always know where it's coming. Slow dancing with the lady, in the red dress. Yes. Oh. And then she just leaves him and he's just standing there. Like who mm-hmm. leaves Simon Lebon? And I would be quick to run back in. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I'm here, Simon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of the fun facts I learned about this is that one of them, it says there's a scene where the band is riding on elephants. I don't think that made the final cut, but anyway, a female elephant made a bizarre sound and it turned out to be the elephant's mating call and the elephant carrying Roger Taylor charged downhill and tried to mount the other elephant. Oh my God. Nick Rhodes says it was funny as hell, but it was quite hairy for a moment. (laughs) You fairy. Talk about peril. That's an Indiana Jones moment. Right, right. This is my other, I have a whole bunch of these, but my other favorite one I wanted to share was while sitting on a branch over a lagoon and miming playing his guitar, a rather, I love this word, a rather sozzled Andy Taylor (laughs) fell into the water. He accidentally swallowed some of the water and had to be hospitalized during their Australian tour due to a tropical virus. Yes. He said, I was feeling hot and sweaty on stage in Sydney. And I was suddenly doubled up by excruciating stomach cramps. I managed to play to the end of the set, but during the encore, I had to quickly dash behind an amp where I was violently ill. And he said the medical team realized where he had been and, and she, he had some non-specific tropical virus and it was from the dirty water. Yeah. When they were there, I guess it was like, it was, there was a lot of unrest and it was kind of like one of those, let's shoot this video and get out of here. But at the same time, it's a beautifully shot video and especially the very end aerial photography. Yeah. They had to drop them off on a helicopter, I guess. But at the very end, when they're all walking into this, I suppose it's like a temple, right? Yes. They all walk in so slowly and almost like so reverently Mm -hmm. the very ending where they all just those five faces and they're all just like slowly raising their heads up. It's, it's a beautiful video and it's, it's a gorgeous song. I love the video. And of course, when they're walking around in the temple without their shoes on out of respect, the ground was like scorching hot. Their feet were so burned. It was tough to shoot because of course they want to elicit this mood, right? Right. And they want to be respectful of the environment that they're in. And it is a sacred space. And, and they were just like, Oh, Simon needed me there with a rag to squeeze water on his poor hot feet. feet. (laughs) I'm here for you, Simon. (laughs) Someone said in the comments, some call it the eighties, but we can call it paradise. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a song that, that just take, transports me back. Mm-hmm. Someone said for those of us who have had a one night stand and fell in love. Yeah. Oh, I, that could right? hit, that could hit totally differently. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. It was great. And Duran Duran was princess Diana's favorite band. <gasps> I know. Isn't so that amazing? Cool. I love that. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. From 1983 to probably 86 is the height of, or even 83 to 85, because when we've talked about the Bee Gees on our podcast, we've even talked, we've used the expression like flash in a pan, but it was like a grease fire in a pan because Mm -hmm. I mean, they burned bright and then they just kind of died out. Duran Duran, happily, they kept playing and their music kept getting appreciated. But as far as like the Duran mania, as far as the people just going crazy and just the infatuation of the girls over Duran Duran. 
I mean, in my opinion, it was kind of an 83 to 85, 86 thing. And is that because that was when it was mine? Maybe. So that's my experience with it. But, you know, because by then they're all like 27, 28. So it's not the same thing. It's not like crushing on this boy band. I'll use air quotes here because they weren't a boy band in the sense that we think of 98 degrees or NSYNC or New Kids on the Block or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, they all loved the album. That's the best part. John Taylor said in his 2012 memoir in The Pleasure Groove, he said, the writing on Rio is fantastic. All out. Essential Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Every one of us is performing at the absolute peak of our talents. There's no showboating. Every part is thoughtful, considered part of a greater whole. Mm-hmm. So they all love the album. Mm-hmm. And it, it stands to this day. The album is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It went two-time platinum. Oh. In their career, Duran Duran has released 15 studio albums and sold over 100 million albums worldwide. Just give them a slow clap. Yeah. (laughs) So you're saying that Duran Duran is in your rotation today? Oh, yeah. At least one Duran Duran song in most of my playlists. Do I listen to them every day? No. Do you wear your Duran Duran pin every day? It's always on my jean jacket. I love it. So this pen was on my jean jacket when jean jackets weren't like ironic or, you know, right. anything. like. Yes. I'm often afraid I'm going to lose it. So I mean, it's um, authentic. It's vintage. I know. I know. I wish I still had a lot of my old, and I'm sure in a box, like I said, in a box in my mom's garage somewhere, it's probably all my old <laughs> posters and my other stuff. It, it was a formative time of my life mm-hmm. and it's not just the crushing on Simon. It was all encompassing for me. Yeah. Well, if we were to play F. Mary Kill with the boys Mm -hmm. in Duran Duran, Mm -hmm. I know there are five, but let's just go with it anyway. You'd marry Simon LeBon still to this day? I'd marry Simon LeBon. Okay. Uh, F and Kill. Okay. F is John Taylor and Kill is Andy Taylor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's easy. Why would you kill Andy Taylor? You know what? He kind of was like ratty to me. He wasn't attractive to me, which is, that's just my own opinion, everyone. Um, A lot of people loved Andy, but when they got to like the seven and the ragged tiger time. So when they're getting now to like 1984, he grew his hair really long and back and it was kind of permed curly, but real short, like, like take the mullet and then add like six inches to it in the back. Wow. I really hated that hairstyle. They all kind of had the mullet idea, even Simon, where it was kind of short over his ears and a little longer on the side, all feathered back. Right. But Andy's went way down his back. And I just didn't think he was cute. Like if you put all five of them, I definitely thought Nick was cute. Definitely thought Roger, he was appealing for one reason or another. He's a drummer. So that's always, you know, that's that's always cute. Yeah. That's super hot. But um, Andy mm -mm. (laughs) didn't like him. Well, Duran Duran's influence on pop culture, absolutely undeniable, but so is yours with your podcast, the Pop Culture Preservation Society. This is a podcast you host with Carolyn and Kristen. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your podcast's origin story. How did this begin? Uh, well, it, um, so yes, the pop culture preservation society is our podcast and we are dedicated to preserving all the little nuggets of our Gen X childhoods and not just the movies and the music that we liked, but everything from the books we read, the clothes we wore going to the roller rink. Um, it could the be culture it, of Gen the X culture. Yeah. And so Carolyn, Kristen and I, um, really have only known each other. I've only known them for three years and it's just amazing to me because now that they're like, we're all like sisters they had known each other a couple of years before that, but we're all in the same writing group here in Minneapolis. And so um, I was the new girl in writing group. And right when I came on board about three years ago, Carolyn and Kristen, Kristen was going to Santa Barbara to see Sean Cassidy in a little concert he was doing. And Carolyn said, well, I want to come. 
And they were sort of like, okay. And everybody in writing group thought that was so cute that Carolyn was just going to go. Like, I'll just go. Like, I was the new girl in group. So I couldn't say, I want to go. Right. But at the same time, knowing, well, these are my people. <laughs> these are right. my people. They're going to fly across to see Sean Cassidy. And then over the next few months, we, and the next year, you know, we were all good friends and we all clicked, but it was never really anything until the summer of 2020. And I am a a freelance writer and I was writing an article for an online publication on fangirling after 50. And I thought, well, I'm just going to call up Kristen and Carolyn and pick their brains. I know Kristen has this whole, my celebrity crush thing. And Mm -hmm. Carolyn is such a fangirl like I am. And it turned into a like hour and a half, two hour long zoom call where we never really talked about the article at all, but we were just talking about all these memories from our childhood, the TV shows we watched, the toys we played with, the food we loved, the just the memories. And at the end of that conversation, Carolyn said, you guys, this was so fun. I'm going to start a podcast and I don't care if anyone listens to it, but I think other people would want to share these memories yes. and they would find joy in that. So this is the pandemic. So what do you do? You start a podcast, right? I mean, that's what I did. Yes. Perfect time. Yeah. And so we basically taught ourselves everything. I mean, we self-produced this. I really wanted to have a really fun social media presence. And so I was really all about the Instagram. And so we have a super fun Instagram page where I post daily Gen X memory. So seven days a week, you're getting a new Gen X memory, whether it's an Avon perfume pen, or it is the type of, you know, tennis shoe roller skates we wore, or it's, you know, we have Fisher price Fridays where we celebrate all the Fisher price toys, the little people, the other Mm -hmm. stuff we loved. Um, so we started the Instagram kind of took off. We started our podcast in December of 2020 and you know what? People listened and and very quickly between the social media, the Instagram page and our conversations, people just have reached out to us. It's so touching the people that say thank you for bringing me so much joy in a time, especially during COVID when they were losing family members or they could say, oh my gosh, your Barry Manilow episode reminded me so much of being with my grandmother and I just recently lost her. So this brought me so much joy or it could be a a picture of something on Instagram that reminds somebody of something from their childhood. I'm having a really tough time right now, but this made me smile today, remembering it. And so over the past year and a half, we've just, we've just really been fueled by the joy that we've been bringing other people and, and people are listening. I mean, we've been able to interview uh, Karen Grassley, who, you know, was Ma Ingalls. She was our Ma Amazing. in the 70s. Um, and we recently interviewed uh, Melissa Gilbert, who has become friendly with us and, you know, wants to come back on our podcast anytime and yes. loves it. And so she said she's obsessed with our Instagram page. And so it's exceeded our wildest dreams. And we have so much fun. I just, I, I hope that people listening, um, we do talk a lot about seventies, but it's all stuff like Lori, you said, you still have memories of that stuff too. So I do. And it's interesting to me to hear that you guys have only known each other that amount of time Mm -hmm. because instantly from the very first time I listened to you guys, there was a sisterhood. There was a kinship there that seemed to have spanned a really long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're listening, you feel like you're instantly welcomed into the sorority. Like yeah. you have a seat at the table. It's very welcoming. You guys reminded me of so much that I had forgotten and it's so nostalgic. It feels so good. Especially, I mean, we live in really heavy times, mm-hmm. but when we look back on like the things that gave us so much happiness and joy during a more simpler time in our lives, mm-hmm. It's so easy to just reconnect to that. And you guys just have such a genuine love of the toys, the culture, the music, (laughs) the TV, the films. 
everything, the books. And it's just so fun to revisit that because yeah. not everyone was into the same thing. You know, I can, right, I can talk right. to this friend about this thing and I can talk to that friend about that thing, but like, maybe they didn't really have a love of the facts of life the way I did. Right. Right. You know, and your podcast, like it has something for everyone. I yeah. love it. It's such a good time. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And I think one of the things that um, means the most to us too, is when people do say, I feel like you guys are my friends. I feel like you guys are yes. my girlfriends because we feel that way too. And I know that that's hard sometimes for people to understand, but we'll do like, we've done a few zooms with like our Patreon supporters and they say that they're like, I feel like I know you guys. Like, I feel like when I'm listening, I'm talking back to my radio or to whatever device I'm listening on because I want to take part in the conversation with you. And as weird as it sounds to the people on the other side of the device, we actually feel that way too. Yes. We want you to feel like you're a part of our conversation. So that actually means a lot to us. We're like, soul, I mean, we're like soul sisters. And that's, you know, one thing that makes our podcast and our whole society makes it work so well is that the three of us, we had this instant connection and we work so well together that it is almost like we, I say they're my sister work wives because I, I think of them like sisters for sure. Um, I never thought it would be possible to meet friends that I could be this close to and have this kind of a friendship with in my fifties. So it's been a really cool ride. What a blessing. I mean, that's a huge gift and it's yeah. so inspirational too, because you think like your friends are your friends and, and we all evolve. We're all becoming mm -hmm. empty nesters and I know. it's a weird transitionary time. And so not only are you establishing this new and amazing and strong friendship, but you actually embarked on a creative endeavor together right. and it's working and people are responding mm -hmm. to it. And that's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's a blast. Wow. It's the most fulfilling thing that we've done. And the three of us have all done some pretty cool stuff in our like careers. And all three of us agree. This is the most fulfilling. And you know what? It comes across on the pod. Oh, thank you. The genuine love for this. It's there. It's so evident. Thank you. So you guys, you're wrapping up season five recording, correct? We, yep. We just, we're finishing recording season five, okay. um, which it's about to launch. So yay! Season five is launching soon um, with the Carpenters episode, a big oh two-parter. Uh, you can't, you can't contain the Carpenters. I was going to say, if anyone deserves a two-parter, it's mm -hmm. the Carpenters. Mm -hmm. You know, you asked me earlier, who is on my rotation every single day? The Carpenters. is. Oh. I hear a Carpenter song in my life somehow every single day. Well, then that <laughs> makes for a really good day. Yeah, it does. I love the Carpenters. So what can we look forward to in season five? Can you give us any like sneak peeks? I'll give you a Am few I allowed sneak peeks. Sure. Yeah. So okay. uh, season five is kicking off with the Carpenters. We have um, May 10th, Melissa Gilbert's new book called Back to the Prairie, which Hells is yeah. um, amazing, amazing book. Highly recommend it. We um, are going to have an episode where we talk to her for a long time about the book and about some other fun. We gave to have a fun little surprise for her at the end, a little okay. Gen X surprise that our listeners are going to love. We have an episode all about the wonderful world of Disney. So if you remember watching that show, you know, sometimes it was Sunday nights for some of us, Saturday nights for others. Um, and then just the Disney movies we all grew up loving. Oh, fun. We have an episode um, about Seventeen Magazine, just a deep dive into yes. what it taught us and the ads and the regular articles. And I'll give you one more. Let's see. We have an episode. Actually, it's turned into a two-parter. Okay. It might even be a three-parter, <laughs> um, all about those made-for-TV movies. 
The boy in the plastic so bubble, champions, yes. a love story. There's something about Amelia, the best little girl in the world, the burning bed, all of those kind of outlandish. So we have one episode where we're just doing a big talk about it. And then we have another episode where we break down the top 10 list as given to us by our society members on Instagram. So we sort of let them vote and then we compiled a list of the top 10. So that's really fun. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah. And then there's more too. I'm just not going to give away the whole season. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. This is a blast. It's such a blast, but I'm not quite done with you yet. I have to ask you some lightning round questions. Oh, that Simon LeBond was going to like walk in my door. <laughs> I was like looking behind me like, oh my God, Lord, you didn't do it. Did you? Yes. I hired him. He's at your door. <laughs> no, I have some lightning round questions. I love games. I love stuff like All that. Right. I'm so excited. Okay. Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Mm, I wasn't into either. Sorry. <gasps> but if I had to pick, I'd say Nirvana. I know I'm not. I was an 80s pop girl. Okay. Wow. I feel like they're more 90s too, but. I mean, they were. Yeah. Oh, well, I was married. And yeah. so, <laughs> so life just stopped after that. <laughs> Understand that I graduated college in 91. I got married in 93. So I'll let that go because, you know, how I came into this Duran Duran episode, like so ill-informed. Like, That's true. It, it's fair. That's like, it's true. We're representing, right? you know what? But look at us. We're very well-rounded here. Yes, we're both representing. We're representing like the whole of Gen yeah, X. Just, just stick with us. Yeah. Yes. Between the two of us, we got you covered, you guys. We're like the spokesgirls for Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Best fast food fries. Oh, um, McDonald's. Oh, 100%. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, this is kind of a 90s reference. If we have to go 80s on this one, we can. Okay. Favorite 90s fragrance? That would be beautiful. Oh, good one. I think it was Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. Um, and my 80s was Anais, Anais. Yes, my mom loved it. My mom mm-hmm. wore it every day. Yep. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat? Oh, absolutely. It said SeaWorld on it. <laughs> it was when I was in high school. So you weren't outside of SeaWorld. Oh, 100%. Like yes. as a fashion statement. Yes, I did. It was white okay. and I had a little SeaWorld because we had been, my palm line had been to SeaWorld. And so we got them, but we wore them at school. We wore them to the mall. We wore them. I was, I graduated high school in 1987. So this would have been in 1987. And then okay. I went to college in 88 and I'm sure I still rocked my SeaWorld <laughs> bucket hat. <laughs> okay. This is a nineties reference also. Okay. Brandon or Dylan, 90210. I was uh, watching that in college, I believe, but if I had to pick Brandon or Dylan, um, oh God, that's tough because I'm a good girl. So my good girl side would say Brandon, mm-hmm. but Dylan had that dangerous. So I'm, I'm going to stick with Dylan. I'm oh, going Dylan. God. All right. I like it. What was your first car? Uh, Toyota Tercel, a little baby blue Toyota Tercel, but I didn't get that until I was in college. I bought a Toyota Tercel in college as well. Did you? I did. It had very, very thin tires. Yes. I was about to say the tires were like from my Fisher Price cars. <laughs> Bicycle tires on a car. Basically. Yeah. Super weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, were you a latchkey kid? Absolutely. Uh, yes, definitely. Yes. A lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was your favorite after school snack of choice? I know you guys have talked about this a little, a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to go with some sort of chip. I think I'm going to go with the OG taco flavored Doritos. Mm, a classic. Mm-hmm. Film that traumatized you most as a kid? Um, I think I'm going to say Porky's because I think I watched that way too young. And I was like, eyes as wide as saucers. 
So I have kind of a roundabout <laughs> conversation about porkies <laughs> on an, the episode I did with Trish from Gen X Voice. Um, it was an episode on a Christmas story. She was traumatized. Naturally, na- naturally, Christmas stories takes you to porkies. <laughs> I just watched it probably way too young. Yes, and too. we'll just never forget the scene in the locker room where then is it Beulah? The the she comes and she gra- you know she grabs his and she pulls. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, first concert. This was Duran Duran. It was like Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. It was my first concert. Yep. This last question is for me, selfishly. Okay. What is your favorite Elton John song? Oh, that's really hard. Um, I think um Daniel uh is the song actually Daniel? Yeah, Daniel. Daniel is fun to, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good one. Good pick. Mm-hmm. That song just like for some reason, it breaks my heart when I hear it. It's one of those bittersweet songs for me. I get like a choked up feeling. Yeah. And I don't even, you know what, if I'm being totally honest with you right now, I'm going to try to go through the lyrics in my head and I'm not even sure if it is a sad song, but that when that song comes on a playlist of mine, I almost get like a choked up feeling and in a good way. It's like a beautiful, beautiful song. It is. But man, you can't go wrong. Greatest hits is one I have on vinyl that I love. I love him so much. I knew that you would be a fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that we would connect in that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. This was so fun. Oh my gosh. Your knowledge and your emotion tied <laughs> to Duran Duran was exactly <laughs> what we needed to carry this episode because it wasn't going to come from me, girl. Well, here's the big question, Lori. Finishing this episode now, do you feel a little bit more interested in Duran Duran? I am. I'm behind the curve, but like I can catch up. I can get there. It's not too late for you. Well, I have homework to do. I'm going to do that. And I need to watch the video for Chauffeur. Yes. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I absolutely will. Gen Xers, thank you so much for joining us. Please remember to rate and subscribe if you're enjoying the pod so you never miss an episode. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. You can find us on the web at the Untitled Gen X podcast.com and on all the socials. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye.